Hey, God, we just thank you, and Lord, we know that you are good. But people do walk through these doors struggling, facing challenges, in sickness, illness, the state of the world, carrying burdens that we were never created to carry. And God, for those who rejoice, amen. Those who are struggling, God, I pray they would see your goodness, your desire for them to sit at the table with you. Um, everything from night service, from Andrew preaching somewhere else, for what you are doing in here, the Lord. I love what Pastor said at the Easter service, that we view ourselves as the center, but God, you are the center of the story, yet you gave your love and affection to us. That though it may hurt, that may be a struggle for a season, God, lead us, minister, and speak today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, guys, if you have your Bibles, Matthew 26, if you need one, hopefully someone or ushers will be bringing you one. Raise up a hand. And here's my challenge to us today. This is a deep and powerful passage, but it's so easy to look at this as just something the kids hear about, something you see in a film, and something you've just grown up with if you were raised in the church. I mean, if I talk to you about Passover, what comes to mind? If I talk to you about the Last Supper, put this image up on the screen even, what comes to mind when I say these things? Is the Passover like a picture of like, you know, a metal band like Iron Maiden Slayer and the Angel of Death is coming down? Is this, you know, Da Vinci picture that looks more like something out of H&M posing for the Middle Ages? Amen. Is that what the Last Supper was like? And while I say that to get a giggle, listen, we are not just in church, just in Matthew 26, just reading some ink with some highlighted notes. This is the consummation of thousands of years of prophecy that God looked at you knowing we would be born in rebellion and sent his son and Jesus is about to arrive at a place and unpack what literally changes our eternity. Living, dying, resurrecting for you. And I say that because as we jump into Matthew 26, Pastor Austin set the tone last week for this. He talked about how the chief priests were angry and frustrated with Jesus and they wanted to arrest him secretly and even kill him. He talked about how the woman who took the alabaster jar and it was, it was a lot of money to, for what she had and she laid it at Jesus' feet and she anointed him, you would say, preparing him for burial. And we'd even see how just last week Judas Iscariot was already talking with the leaders to see what they would give him to betray Jesus. 30 pieces of silver, it would be the cost of only a slave. So all of that is relevant as we jump into this today. And the setting is Jerusalem. There's an extra 100,000, 250,000 people showing up to the city. It's Passover. It's unleavened bread. It's about to get crazy. But do not just hear preaching. Don't just hear some teaching on a Sunday morning amidst your busy week. You need to lean in and get what God is saying. Amen? Matthew 26, 17. The Last Supper. And on the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? Jesus replied, go into the city to a certain man and tell him, the teacher says, my appointed time is near. I'm going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and they prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to him after the other, Surely you don't mean me, Lord. And Jesus replied, 
the one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me shall betray me. And the Son of Man will go just as is written about him. But woe to the man who betrays the Son of Man. It would have been better for him to have not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray Jesus, said, Surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. Jesus says, You have said so. While they were eating, Jesus took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. He then took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to his disciples, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from the fruit of the vine from now until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. We can hear that and we're right back to this picture. We're right back to Leonardo da Vinci, right back to sitting in an upper room eating food. But verse 17 tells us of what has taken place. This is the festival of unleavened bread. This is the Passover. And by that, what it means is 2,000 years ago for a week, the city was all focused on what God had done way back years before. They were in the city and they're looking back to a time when Israel was in Egyptian slavery and God had sent the 10 plagues and as they were fleeing, they didn't have time to put the yeast in the bread to get a good meal. So instead, they had to flee by night, sandals, weapons and all. They had the thin unleavened bread. At the same time, at the start of the week, God told them to set apart an animal. Pick for yourselves a lamb just as Jesus entered the city and they waited all week because God had told them. At the end of this week, I am sending down the angel of death who will slay all the firstborn males or firstborn of the animals. And we even have an image to show you what this looked like. So this isn't just a picture and something that happened in its Bible. This took place way back in the day in Egypt and they are celebrating this at this time. The blood will be shed over the doorpost with hyssop in the shape of what? A cross happening around the 13th, 14th, 15th of Nisan. And it said at this time that over 250,000 lambs would be killed and slain. So I think about my ministry this day. Woke up, jumped in the shower, prayed, got into the notes, hung out in the back. I'm delivering this. Yes, it gets sweaty. Shout at you for a bit. Pray. I'm good. But for them, this is a week of two lambs a minute shedding their blood, cutting their throats. Blood everywhere, all over my hands, understanding what it costs these people to give the perfect, without spot or blemish lamb to cover, hopefully, their sins. I'm saying this because this whole tone is set. And you might say, Brian, it's still a far-off picture. Well, let's go back to Moses. Stay in Matthew 26, but here's what Exodus tells us. And Exodus, all it means is the exit. This is when God rescued them, caused them to exit and leave slavery. It's a type of what Christ has done. Exodus 12, 21 says this. Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said, Go at once and select the animals of your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. That's what Passover is. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it into the blood in the basin, and put some on the top and on both sides of the doorframe. None of you shall go out of the door of your house until the morning. Meaning that night, what's going to happen is going to be radical. And when the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on top of the sides of the doorframe and he will pass over the doorway. He will not permit the destroyer, this is real, this took place, to enter your houses and strike you down. 
Make sure you're hearing this saying, wow, God is crazy. Look what he did. But God gave them 400 years to repent. God constantly preached. The word of God was sent by Moses and Aaron to Pharaoh, but Pharaoh didn't listen, and so his heart was hardened. And here is God sending the 10 plagues because there does come a day of God's wrath. Amen? They're all putting the blood over the doorpost, trusting in what? The doorpost, the hyssop? No, they are trusting in the blood. And as you hear this, if I say, who is this talking to? We all say, Jesus, Jesus, the Lamb of God. We see him on the Christmas card holding the lamb. Jesus is the lamb, but they had no idea. They had no idea from Genesis 3.15 on, every prophecy was about Jesus. All these moments were about God delivering not just his people, but eventually you. This message is about me. This message is about you. It happened thousands of years ago, but is alive and well today proclaiming truth. Amen? And so Jesus gives them the answer here. Where are we going to do this? Where are we going to have Passover? And it says in verse 18, Jesus replied, go into the city to a certain man and tell him the teacher, the rabbi Jesus, says my appointed time is near. I'm going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. Amazingly in Exodus, God is the one who ordained the Passover and set it up. And here we see Jesus setting up the Passover unaware to his disciples. What's crazy is it says you're to go to a certain man and the other gospels say... You will know who this man is because he'll be carrying what? A pitcher of water. I would look at that, reading that off glance and say, well, isn't that like the silliest thing you could say? Hey guys, go meet my buddy at Starbucks. He'll be the guy drinking the Starbucks in the Starbucks. Amen? I picture the dust and the robes in the city and everyone just walking around carrying water. No. In that day, this is something the women did. Women, praise God for you. All the men said... Women carrying all the children, jugs on their head. I mean, just hustling and going. This is what it was like. They were running around with the water, but Jesus says there will be a man. Doesn't say his name, which means only Jesus knows what's happened. Only Jesus is really in control. And they would go and see the man who was either a servant or the man who owned the property because Luke tells us that this man had a large furnished upper room. He had a room probably as big as this where they could all recline. Why? Because we're celebrating Passover. And you may hear this and say, why is Jesus being secretive? Why is he saying a certain man carrying water? It's like something out of 007, amen? What's taking place behind the scenes? Well, Judas wants to betray him. The chief priests want to betray him. In his midst is someone who is opposed to him and the call of God in his life. But what I want you to see from this is that Judas isn't the one in control. The chief priests aren't the one in control. What did, he sell? what did he tell those? You only have the power that God allows to you. In the midst of your life, God is only allowing certain things to happen, but he is still in control. And what this shows is God's timing is perfect. If you're unfamiliar with this, you have to realize there is no other day on history Jesus could have been betrayed. There's no other day in history when the Passover had to be eaten by Jesus and he would die at the end of the week as the Passover lamb. God isn't freaking out about your circumstances. He knows exactly the way you walked in, but it's up to you for what you receive and how you walk out. Amen? The woman with the issue of blood says, I have to get to Jesus. Blind Bartimaeus cried out, son of David. And when they called him out, he was thinking, you be quiet. I know who this man is. We're not in church. We're not in branches. We're not just reading some text. We're talking about the Son of God who rose from the grave. Can someone say amen? And I say this because God is fully in control. 
God is fully in control because Jesus himself says, my appointed time is near. You might have heard the teaching the past few decades, it's super popular, where we start a sermon or we start a book or we start a podcast or something and we begin to talk about God as a cosmic child abuser. This is popular the last 20 years. God abused Jesus. He took advantage of Jesus. He destroyed Jesus. He did this. He did that. He did all these things to Jesus. Yet to me, the Bible I read, the Bible you should be reading, which is hopefully the word of God, amen, right version, what does it tell us about Jesus? It tells us in Hebrews that for Jesus, it was for the joy set before him that he went to the cross. It wasn't because of Judas. It wasn't because of the chief priests. Jesus planned to go to the cross for you. We're told this in Luke 23, 46. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Who took Jesus' life? No one. They put him on the cross, but he decided at what hour he would die. He decided when. I commit my spirit, and when he had said this, he breathed his last breath, meaning no one had control over when Jesus would die. What does the Bible say in John 10, 17? I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and the authority to take it up again. Pastor, why are you talking about this? Because it's become common for atheists, agnostics, lecturists, even those who are opposing Christianity to constantly preach, sell books, make thousands of dollars saying Jesus really didn't know what was taking place. For my late mother-in-law, I remember her reading a book by a guy called Bart Ehrman who graduated from Wheaton, a Christian school, got an MDiv at Princeton, and would go around preaching about how Jesus did not understand why he was going to the cross. But for me, I go to the text, and what does it say? It says that Jesus came into the world, and he said, I came to seek and save that which was lost. Sounds like he knew what he was doing. I think about Jesus on the cross, and I don't care how many degrees you have, what school you went to, it's about what the Word of God says. This is how we live, Amen. On the cross, Eloi, Eloi, Lama Sabachthani, God, God, why have you forsaken me? Why did he forsake him, church? For Brian, for you, for your sins. This is it. A guy, do they say, man, isn't it crazy to point out people's sins? No, because when we see it, we see how good God is for what he did for us, amen? Even in the garden, Lord, let this cup pass. Is there any other way? What does that mean? There's no other way. There's no other religion, there's no other practice, there's no other jumping through hoops, climbing the mountain to God. Jesus knew exactly who he was. And for me to say this guy was a rabbi raised, taken Passover of the tribe of Judah, son of David, to not know what Psalm 22 says, Psalm 23, to not know what Isaiah 52 and 53 said. I mean, is Jesus this out to lunch about what's happening? And you're saying, Brian, why is this so serious? Because God is who instituted the Passover. God is the one that set this all in motion. God is the one who knows where your marriage, where your business, where your body, what is going on in your life. And you should be able to leave here today and simply train yourself to say, God has got this. I may not give it to you the way you want it, but God has got this, amen? Jesus was being betrayed, but he knew what was happening. It's the appointed time. And so here we go in the disciples, verse 19. Disciples did as Jesus had directed them and they prepared the Passover. Everybody in Judaism would have understood this. They would have heard all the prophecies, knew about the Passover, but what they didn't understand was it was about to be fulfilled. 
thousands of years of prophecy arriving to this day. And I would look back when I became a believer and said, the Old Testament kind of sounds different to the new. Well, it is. Those pastors that flee from the Old Testament, you guys better be really careful. This is God's word, but it's pointing us to what God did. Amen? Jeremiah 31, stay where you are, but here's what the prophet says, the word of God. He said, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. When is that, God? I'll make this covenant with the people of Israel, the people of Judah. Listen to this. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of what? It will not be like the first Passover. It will not be like it was with Pharaoh. It will not only be about Israel. It will include all of us in the church said amen. Verse 34, I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. God is saying there's coming a day where the old will literally pass away and what? All will become new. Yes, you can apply that verse. And we say all this and Jesus is going deep. And it says in verse 20, and when evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the 12. If we put the next image up on the screen, sorry Da Vinci, but this is, this is really what it would have looked like. They're sitting at a table in the shape of a U. They don't have the sandals on or the weapons from the Exodus. Instead, they're sitting with a three-sided table where they would sit called the triclinium, and you would literally be able to lay upon one another, close to one another, a time of fellowship and relaxing. And you're thinking, Brian, I'm hearing of lambs with their throat being slit and all this craziness, and suddenly, as we're all relaxed and calm, we can smell the Passover. There's bitter vegetables about to be eaten. There's wine, all kinds of things. Everyone's relaxing. We hear here in verse 21 again, plot twist. Jesus starts and he says, truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. In the middle, one of you will betray me. Never been said at a Passover. What is he saying? He's taking authority. Verse 22, they were very sad and began to say to him one after another, surely you do not mean me, Lord. This is rhetorical. Yes, I wouldn't do that. I'm not going to do this, but they actually all did. What did they do when he was taken? They all fled in the garden. John watched from afar. Peter denied him three times, but he was led to repentance and restored with Christ. Jesus said, I pray for you. Amen. But I like what they do here. I like that they're saying, not me. Why is this? Because even as Pastor Austin preached last week, how the disciples are often out to lunch. They don't know what God's doing. Do we always know what God's doing in every situation? No. One of the things they had right was they were checking their heart. They were checking their heart and seeing, where am I? What is going on? You say, well, Pastor, should I really be concerned of walking out my faith, going deeper and deeper? Well, yes. This is how the Bible preaches, how the Apostle Paul preaches it. You're not saved because of what you're doing. You're saved because of what God does. But here's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13.5. He says to the church, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Maybe you came to church emotional one day. Maybe you said a prayer over here. Maybe you said that. I'm not saying to doubt your salvation, but Paul says, examine yourself. And he says this. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. Meaning, take account for your life. You're sitting at the table. We're about to take of the Passover lamb. Judas is one way. The disciples are another. And why am I saying this? Because if we don't mature, grow, get off the milk and into the meat, live a life serving him. And I am not saying sign up for everything. Do this and do that. I am saying... How many people are in here? You are gifted and created by God to do very specific things. I've said this a lot. I can play guitar, amen? 
Well, Pastor Brian, can I play guitar? No, I can't really play guitar. They are gifted for this. You are gifted for whatever you do. As you serve God living for him, it will take care of so much of your life. And why am I saying this? I remember going away to a far nation, I'll say, about 10 years ago, hanging out with a guy who was in his 70s. I mean, just beautiful gentleman, living the life. Could have finished every verse I started, would have known all the sings, songs. He could actually play guitar. Beautiful man and served in church and community, everything, and saved his wife, took care of us while my son and I were there. And then a few months after being there, I hear, oh, he's been running around behind her back for 30 years. He's been going and paying people, and I won't go much deeper than that if you know what I mean. If you were to say, well, Brian, do we bring this up? Well, Paul says, examine yourself. 30 years is 30 Valentine's Days, 30 birthdays, 30 Christmases. I get you can struggle and you wrestle in the flesh. I get, Paul says, wretched man that I am. But what Jesus is saying is, you guys need to be aware. What Paul is saying is examine yourself because in my life, if there's not this repentance when I do something stupid or wrong or walk in the flesh, if there's not a desire to have men encourage me or people to sit and pray with me, what makes me think I'm really walking with the Lord? What makes me think I have any part of him? And I say this, and why am I saying it? Because Jesus said this right in front of them. The one who dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. And we have this picture of they're all sitting around, there's a big bowl and they're all using it. No. Jesus was the host. John was beside him. Judas, is believed, would have been beside him. And the same bowl that Jesus was using, he probably would have handed it to Judas first as an admiration of love for him. And this is his betrayer. In fact, Luke's gospel, Luke, I mean, John 13, 26 says this, that Jesus dipped the piece of bread into the bowl and Jesus gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Meaning he said it's the one who dips it into the bowl, so he dipped it, he handed it to him, and now a total plot twist again. Yes, I'm gonna go here. As soon as Judas took the bread, what happened? Satan entered into him. In the room before Jesus, as soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered him. Did he climb inside of him, red cloak, horns, pitchfork, all the rest of it? No. But Satan, in his purest form as he is, was right there dwelling inside of Judas. How do we know this? How can we say this? Because for Judas, for Satan, they both wanted the same thing. At that time in history, what they wanted was the downfall of Jesus. What they wanted was to get in the way of Jesus' plan. I mean, a few verses earlier, chapters earlier, Jesus said something just as radical. He's with the leaders and those in office and those in ministry and those carrying the high esteem. And he says in John 8, 44, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He's saying you're living in opposition of the plan. Even Peter, when Jesus talked about being crucified and dying, Peter said, I'll never let it happen, Jesus. What did Jesus say? Get behind me. What I'm saying is, guys, this is radical, is you're either in Christ or not. You're either led by him or not. You're either walking with the Lord or not. This sounds crazy, but this isn't like culture and what culture says. In this day and age, there's so many religions, so many faiths, and it's taught like this nonchalantly, but very intentionally. The shows your kids watch, the songs, the movies, culture, it is all selling this idea that you just speak to the universe, you manifest some new ageism, you worship other gods, and guess what? It nullifies the God of the Bible. No. God says, I am the same yesterday, today, and when? Forever. I do not change. 
You can believe I'm a scooter rider all day, but praise God, I only ride a skateboard. Amen? <laughs> Joking, but the point, it's true. God bless you back there, sneezing. But my point is this, perfect time for a radical message. As we say this, you say, well, Brian, this sounds so challenging and confrontational. What if I brought someone of a different faith? What if I brought someone who was atheist or agnostic? Well, let me ask you, which one of us is meant to be telling them the truth? I'll tell them. The Bible says the day is their salvation. People will come to church and get mad when you preach the truth, and I'm like, what are you bringing them to church for? Guys, you know whose pulpit this is? You know whose stage this is? It's not mine. It's not Pastor Brian's. It's not Pastor Austin's. It's not Pastor Andrew's. It's not even Branches. It's God's. And God wants them to know today, if you bring someone here who's bound in sin, the Bible says we're to tear down every stronghold and proclaim the gospel. So Judas is deceived. He's buying into it. I sit with people all week and they're buying into the new ageism and the narcissism and the universe. I love saying this. What does the word universe mean? Uni means what? Single. Verse means what? Sentence. We are worshiping the single sentence. In the beginning, God spoke. People are worshiping the creator rather than the creator. Judas is not getting here. And look at what Jesus says. The Son of Man will go just as is written about him. But woe to the man who betrays the Son of Man. It would have been better for him if he had never been born. And then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, which is crazy, surely you don't mean me. Rabbi, that's important. Jesus said, you've said so. You've said so. Wait, Judas, you went there last week or a few days ago when you sat with those priests and made a deal that 30 pieces of silver you'd sell me out? Judas knew. We know. We know where we are before the Lord. Adam knew when he blamed God. It's the woman you gave me. Adam knew. Eve knew when they were hiding under their own covering. It took God to clothe them in what was necessary. And they'll clothe us again in the book of Revelation. Amen. Judas was looking to the Lord and Jesus says, you have said so. And you know why? This is what I believe. I believe Judas thought it would be a physical kingdom. He saw Jesus and his ministry, and whether it starts in Huntington or Costa Mesa or whatever, people are following Jesus, and, and we're in church, and there he is, and there's hundreds of people, and he's got momentum, and he's got fame, and look at the kingdom, Jesus, and people are giving money, and it's all about this world, and just a few verses earlier, here comes the woman with the alabaster jar. Judas is already stealing from the money, and she takes this oil, this perfume, and puts it on Jesus' feet and washes his feet, preparing him for burial. And Judas said, oh, this isn't about a physical kingdom. This is wasteful. It is if it's not spiritual. Jesus, your kingdom isn't physical. We're not going to take over Rome, all these miracles. You're not going to tear down this and tear down that. We're not going to rule and reign here where moth devours and rust takes care of. It's spiritual. That's still the same trap today. Judas was focused on the idol, what was physical, and we all buy into that in some way. I can buy into it with my preaching. You can buy into it with whatever. Our heart, as Martin Luther said, is still an idol factory. Judas was caught up in the things of this world, and here's what's radical. Who called Judas to follow him? Jesus. Jesus called you to follow him, called me to follow him. We have this idea in Christianity that Jesus is just like moving around outside on the hillside and he's like, I just wish these guys would follow me. That's not Jesus. Jesus showed up and proclaimed his love, his love. It is loving to proclaim and Jesus always made these statements. Follow, believe, repent. 
He only ever makes statements that invite you to come and sit at the table with him, to forsake the whale because he has a better kingdom for you. And people say, and this is a good question, but what if Judas had repented? I fully believe if Judas would have repented, he'd go to heaven. I know he hung himself. I know his entrails came down the hill, but I don't believe he ever repented. I don't see it in Scripture. Peter rebelled against God, three times denied him, and there's Jesus on the shore cooking and eating. Like, he always seemed to be cooking and eating, but he walked everywhere, so he's nice and lean probably. Amen? And Peter sees him, and what does Peter do? He jumps off the boat thinking, what have I done to Jesus? I've denied him. Jesus told me this, but he said, Peter, I've prayed for you. You won't fail. Peter repented and followed after Jesus, and if you have struggled with sin, faced hard times like we all have, every day we get up on the wrong side of the bed in some way. Amen? God's grace and mercy is there. But did Judas repent? And see, here's the mistake often. The Bible talks about godly sorrow and the world's sorrow. People do crazy things and they feel bad or sad because it changes their life, changes the situation. But the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 7.10 says this, Godly sorrow brings about repentance. And this repentance leads to salvation. And it leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. A lot of people in jail are sorry for what they did or in marriages or situations and God's grace can cover all of that. But I don't see that Judas was repentant. I see he, he was sorry for the price of a slave. And so this is all taking place and now it just cuts right to the Passover meal and it says this in verse 26. While they were eating, and this is the Passover meal, and just so we catch up to this, you can put up image four to bring us up to what this would look like. Normally, the dad or the host or whoever was oldest or had more knowledge, maybe, they would lead the Passover. They would lead, and obviously I'm saying the dad because he was the head of the home and he's over there covering everyone, doing the work in the temple and all the rest of it. And so the dad would lead, but it was kind of a storytelling. I heard a guy say this recently and it stuck with me. He said, if you ask the church, what does John 3.16 say? Everyone can recite it. But if you say, where was Jesus when he said that? They say, do we know that? And there was something amazing I saw about the Jewish history. Is that when your kids are 14, 15, 16, they get sent off to school and there's the atheist professor or the person who hates God or whatever. They start feeding this stuff to the Jews. They could look back and say, well, my heritage, the people of Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I know how God loved Elijah. I know how God led Rahab. I know what God says. I know about the Passover. And the point is here. Are we looking and seeing this because Jesus is about to in the Passover give us this picture of what God did? So what do we see here? How many cups are there? Four cups. Four cups. It was the Apostle Paul, his rabbi Gamaliel, who said, you need three things really to celebrate Passover. They celebrated it for a thousand years, then Jesus showed up. His disciples celebrated it every year. For two years prior, they have been celebrating with Jesus. But the three things you would need is vegetables, a lamb, and the bread. And it would involve wine and multiple times of praise. And so the host, if we were starting Passover, I didn't want to bring it all up here for lack of time, but Jesus that night would have took the cup and he would have drank the first cup, yes, with diluted wine, because if you drink this much of it so as to get drunk, it would be gluttony, Amen. They're not getting drunk. Just the Bible says being drunk is a sin. Sorry, you have to hear it from me, but we're preaching today. Amen? It says while they were, hey, in this nation, you can treat alcohol to the most abuse, the most jail time, the most death, and anything else in culture. We've got to be real. We don't want to look into that mirror and walk away. But what is he saying? 
He's saying here he drank the first cup, which was the cup of thanksgiving. Guys, we're gathered here, and I'm going to drink this to honor God. We're celebrating him, and we can smell what's being, we can smell all the things that's happening. Second, they would eat the carpas, the, the bitter herbs, the celery or the, the lettuce or the parsley, and they would dip these in salt water, and you say, gross, and you're meant to, amen? You ever cried so hard, and they come down your cheek, and you taste your tear, and does it taste good? That's the point. We're celebrating God. They drank the wine. They would sing of a hymn, praise God, thank you. They would eat of the bitter vegetables, and as they tasted that, they would think of the tears of Israel for 400 years. You could do this however you wanted as long as you had these main three elements with the wine, but they're looking to Joseph being betrayed by his brothers, looking to his blood that was stained upon his garment. They're looking to Israel over and over, and as this is happening, they're thinking about bitterness, thinking about the pain. They could talk about Solomon or all these different people in their past who didn't honor God. The point was to show the kids mankind struggles. They would invite the children to ask questions, and then the second cup, Jesus would drink what is called the cup of plagues. He would drink this, and he would talk about Passover, the ten plagues, what the Passover lamb was about, and then he would have read Psalm 113. He would have started, and this still happens to this day, reading a verse like, who is like the Lord our God? And you would respond back to me and sink. Verse 6, verse 7, he praises the poor from the dust. Verse 8, he seats them with princes. Verse 9, he seats the childless woman in her home happy, and then we would all praise the Lord. And then out would come the Passover lamb that Jesus would present. There would be the flatbread with no yeast, and this is where Jesus would pronounce the new covenant. Why this is radical is I can only imagine what the disciples were thinking. He's just told them, Judas will betray me. They've set up the Passover. For the last two years with Jesus, everything went normal. And now he's saying, just so you know, we've looked back to what God did, but this is about me. When you eat of this lamb, it's about me. I'm the Passover lamb. When you drink of this wine, this is about my blood over and over. So think about it. We're looking back to Passover and now Jesus is pointing to the cross, and they would have known what it was like to shed the lamb's blood. They would have saw the priests and the blood all over the city, 250,000 animals slain for their sin, and Jesus was saying, I'm the Passover lamb. All these, and listen, this is every ceremony, every ritual, all the scriptures, every time they did this for a thousand years is all about to be fulfilled in one minute for your sin. So that's it, however bad your life is, whatever's going on, 80 years of chaos, 40 years, 120, however long you make it, this is what God did for you. And it says in verse 26, Jesus took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, gave it to his disciples, us, and said, take, eat, this is my body. And elsewhere he says, do this in remembrance of me. It's kind of crazy he would say that, do this in remembrance of me while he's there. It's like me handing out a drink to you today and say, hey, when you drink this, think of me. Why? Where are you going? Also, the fact that he says, do this in remembrance of me. Did they eat his body right then? Yes or no? No. Did they drink his blood right then? Yes or no? So you have this teaching of transubstantiation where we take communion and it becomes his body, it becomes his blood. For a Jew, they could never have done this then. Jews aren't allowed to drink anything with the blood in it. You don't eat a human being's body, amen? I'm saying many faiths look to that, but what Jesus is saying is this is a remembrance 
Old Testament, God delivered us from Egypt. New Testament, I'm delivering you all. Guys, what is the story of Exodus? Moses and Pharaoh, Moses and Aaron go to Pharaoh. God says one thing. Let my people go that they may what? Worship me. I want to set some people free from slavery, addiction, issues, struggles, whatever it is you want to say. Let them go and worship me. What is the story of the New Testament? The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, enslave. I have come to give him life, and life what? More abundant. Jesus is saying the Passover lamb to you is now the living Passover lamb to everyone else. Do you get why we're saying this? Verse 27. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them. Drink from it, branches. Drink from it, church, every believer. This is my blood of the covenant, not literal, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. This is it. This is the new covenant. This is the last supper. And I want you to see this. For thousands of years, we're looking forward to Passover. But now Jesus is saying, no, 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 there's no more Passover. Now it's communion. Now when you eat of the bread, now when you drink of the wine, you're receiving and see, this is a picture of freedom for us. What is it that a new covenant is? A new covenant is something that God brings into ordination where it's ratified because of blood. I want you to think of this for a second. Exodus 24, what was killed for the sins of the nation? Lamb, right? Do you realize that no one is in heaven because of those sacrifices? I don't get to heaven and here's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob who died because of that lamb. I get to heaven only because of Jesus. And you're saying, well, Brian, you're saying Jesus' blood was applied backwards? Yes, because for you it was applied forwards. Jesus is outside of time, so their faith in the work of God is what set them free. How many cups did Jesus drink? Three. How many cups were there? Four. In the middle of this, Jesus says, I tell you, I will not do this ceremony. Touch this cup. I will not drink from the fruit of the vine from this day, from the cross, until, listen church, that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. 2,000 years ago I drank, I will not drink this till after the book of Revelation, till after it is all done. Guess who wasn't at the Passover? Judas. Notice what Judas called Jesus the whole time? Rabbi. Everyone else called him Lord. Judas wasn't submitted to Jesus, never repented of Jesus, never put his faith in Jesus. He just called him teacher, good teacher. Hey, the world's fine with that. We like some of his stuff. But he never sat at the table and Jesus says, and think about this. We looked at Passover. He's looking to the cross, but you know where he's looking when he looks to the cross? He's about to be betrayed. He's about to be denied, to be accused and captured, tried and crucified. And he's looking at the final Lord's Supper as we enter eternity where he sits with you. For the joy set before him, he saw Brian's sin. He saw your sin. He saw our false religion. He saw our idol worship. And look at what Paul says, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six: As often as you eat this bread, church, and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes is this all spiritual so many times we say everything in revelation is spiritual is there going to be a heaven is there going to be a table is there going to be a last supper is jesus going to be there this is literal wherever you are in your life whatever's going on and i love this it says when they had sung a hymn they went out to the mount of olives 
They were singing with Jesus across the Kidron Valley. He was going to be rejected, taken, and taken away. And so where do we finish today now that the music is playing? Amen? Let me ask you guys really real. Branches is doing amazing. Churches are doing amazing. I think of Orange County as like the new Bible Belt. For all that's going on in the world, people are waking up and saying God is good. They're seeing the chaos of this world and it comes from a place of hurt. But where are you? As Pastor Brian said in Teach Team this week, we had communion last week. We ate of the bread. We drank of that juice, not the wine. But for you who wasn't here last week, it's not about all those things. Those things are all about who? A person. They're all about Jesus. Jesus made a place, invites the well to sit, eat, dine with him, Revelation 3.20. Where are you today in the Lord? And you might say, well, Brian, this message has been pretty bold. You've stepped on some toes. You've said some crazy stuff. Amen? Let's get bold. Bow your heads for a moment. Judas never went to the Last Supper, and it wasn't God's fault. God invited Pharaoh. Pharaoh rejected God's word and God hardened his heart. Judas fled and was focused on the things of this world. You might have been raised in the faith, read all those books. You could have Da Vinci's photograph sitting on your wall, painting, whatever. But are you going to be seated as we taste the fourth cup? Are you drinking of his blood? Are you eating of his body? Do you acknowledge the cross? I say all this because, Lord... You have made a way for everyone that would hear this to simply sit, to find rest, to trust, to find repentance in you. But you said, Jesus, my sheep hear my voice. Judas never heard his voice to you. I don't know who's in here today, how you were raised, whether you're in the faith or not. You might be in here feeling like Pharaoh. Well, you're not that bad that you disqualified yourself for the love, grace, mercy of Jesus. Repentance is a work of God in your heart. So I want to challenge us. People responded to this in the first service. If you're here today and you say, I want to sit at the table. I want to be right with God. I want to know the work he has done with me. You want to say, I confess you as Lord today. I repent of my sins. I turn and put my faith in you. If that's you, I'm going to challenge you to be bold on the count of three. Raise up your hand. One, two, three. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Four, five hands. Anyone else? Amen. God knows where you are. God knows what you're carrying. God knows what you've been through. And he's the one at work in you that invites you to the table. But here's how I want to finish this. Let's just stand to our feet. And as we worship, we're going to have ministry teams go to the side of the room. I'm going to be down here in the front. And listen, this could be about your marriage, your life, your business, chaos. I don't know. Whatever you need prayer for, people want to pray for you. They love it. They care for you. They talk to the Lord about you. Whatever you need prayer for, humble ourselves. Go let someone lay hands on you and pray and believe. Amen. But for those of you who said, Lord, I want to get right with you today. Maybe it's some crazy sin. You really want to tell someone. Maybe you don't. You just say, man, I am leaving this in an altar today. The four or five of you that raise your hands too, would you do the Lord an honor? And just sit with someone in our prayer team. Even come down to me in the front. Because here's the gospel. God's in heaven and he's made a way. Jesus died for the sins, the Bible says, before the foundation of the earth. 2,000 years ago it was paid for, but it's activated in your life when you believe, when you repent, when you follow. 
Let me pray us into a time of response. If you need prayer, go to someone. And if you repent, please let us know. We want to pray with you, get you some things and welcome you into the family. God, you're so good. You're so faithful. That 2,000 years ago, without amplifiers and without buildings like this and all the rest of what we just enjoy, you are still using it all to further the kingdom. Be it iPhones to billboards, travel around the world, you are at work, Jesus, coming to seek and save that which was lost. But I pray, God, even today, that your people would have peace, not because of what we did, because of what you done. It was that lamb's blood that was shed over the doorpost that stopped the eternal death. And it's your blood, Jesus, that speaks a better word for all of us, God, who know how much we need you. We did nothing to earn this. It's free. And it's because of your love. Let's worship him, church.